Hello, my name is John Hendren, and this is BachCast, episode number four. The piece I have chosen for this episode is one I'm, I probably feel the least uh, qualified to talk about, but it's from a collection of pieces by Bach that I've sort of grown fond of over the past maybe five years or so, and it's from his collection of motets. Uh, a motet is a vocal work, and its purpose was to be used in um, a Lutheran ceremony. So this is church music. And you probably know, if you know anything about Bach, that he wrote a lot of cantatas, uh, which were the, the mainstay of music written for a musical service. And Bach really saw his main purpose in life once he came to Leipzig to write this church music in the form of cantatas, despite the fact that his employers also saw him as being a teacher, uh, which was part of the duties of being a Kapellmeister. Well, these pieces, which we have just a few of them, the BWV number for this one is, is 226, which in English translates to the spirit gives aid to our weakness. Um, the motets for Bach were funeral music. And that does not mean if you were to pick up any piece of music called a motet that's for a funeral. But by Bach's time, the cantata had come into such prominence as, as the de facto uh, church type of music that motets were perhaps looked at as, as old-fashioned. And uh, when somebody died, you might have a motet be composed. And so this is one of Bach's, and it, this one's kind of... Uh, easy to approach, I think. It's it's not too grandiose. It's a great place for us to start with maybe some of Bach's um, vocal music. And what's interesting here, I'm going to read you a little bit of the text. So um, in, the, in the recording I've chosen, and the, the group here is Bach Collegium Japan, um, directed by Masaki Suzuki. And Suzuki has put out, I think, around 55 CDs or uh, volumes of Bach cantatas, and so he's he's very familiar with um, Bach's vocal works. Uh, the Bach Collegium Japan was put together to, to perform music on historical instruments and with a, a performance practice, um, uh, basically recreating the sound world of Bach's time. And Suzuki is a is a keyboard player. He uh, primarily, I guess, known as a harpsichordist. He studied, among others, with Ton Koopman, who's a favorite performer of mine. And he's kind of brought this early music scene to Japan. And so there's a lot of qualifications uh, for this this group. So they put this album out not too long ago, and they hadn't finished with the cantata series yet, but they decided to re record uh, the motets. And so the first of the two major portions of this um, comes from the Bible, and it was in German. Motets, when you kind of think of motets, you typically think of them in Latin, but this is Lutheran Germany. We were trying to use the language of the people rather than the language of the Catholic Church, and so it's not surprising to us that we would find this in uh, German. It goes like this. The Spirit gives aid to our weakness, for we do not know for 
for what we should pray, what is proper, but the Spirit itself intercedes for us in the best way with unutterable sighs. He, however, who examines hearts, he knows what the Spirit's intention is, since it intercedes for the saints according to that which pleases God. So, probably an appropriate message for a time when you're not in a good mood, somebody's died, where do we go to? Put your trust in God. The last portion is a chorale, and this uh, text comes from Martin Luther, published in 1524. You holy fire, sweet comfort, now help us joyfully and confidently to remain constantly in your service, although trouble is not driven away from us. And it goes on for a little longer and ends with a hallelujah. So what are we expecting with a motet? It's basically choral music. You're not going to get, you know, uh, instrumental introductions. You're not going to get a, a obligato violin in here. You're going to get choral music, which causes a little bit of a problem for performance. There's always issues with this stuff, right? So do you perform it just with instruments or excuse me, just with voices or do you add instruments to it? Uh, what you're going to hear in this recording is they've added a basso continual line. There's, there's, there's some instruments playing along to kind of support the bass line. And some folks believe that we should be playing along with the chorus, that a practice of the time was to double the choral lines with instruments. And the text doesn't tell us that. It's more of accounts of how motets were performed that tells us that. There was an account that... Um, that these works would be accompanied by the organ, um, which, if you think, if you're an inexperienced singer or you or somebody dies, you know, really soon, you're putting this together, there may not be a lot of time, depending if this is just sitting in a collection or if it was specially composed, for you to perform this work. And so, having people sing along with an instrument playing the parts. Uh, simply makes it easier to follow along because you can kind of hear what you're supposed to be singing. Um, so in this performance, as I said, they add a bass line to it, which kind of stays out of the way. What I really like about this recording um, is the sound quality of it. It's clear. It's easy to hear the diction. And what you're going to notice when you hear it is that there are two choirs. This motet is written for double choir. Now, double choir means you have two sets of the four voices, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. And until they get to the very end, which is the chorale, the, the part written by Luther, uh, they're singing kind of independent parts. And so you'll kind of get this stereo effect going back and forth. So let's listen to an excerpt of this. I'm actually going to just play, play from the very beginning. This is BWV 226, a motet by Johann Sebastian Bach. The Spirit gives us aid to our weakness. So you can hear from the very beginning, Bach is up to his old tricks, the counterpoint. Phrase appears in one side, goes to the other side back and forth. Okay, we'll keep listening. So 
So that's what the motet kind of sounds like. And to me, it doesn't sound like uh, sad, uh, sad music. It's, it's not the dark color of maybe a Mozart Requiem, right? It, it's kind of this joyous sounding music. It's in a major key. Dun, 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 dun. It's got a little pulse to it. And I'm not going to try to sing like a soprano, but you've, that soprano line, lots of notes up there. It kind of makes it sound light and uh, almost a little festive. And one of the things I think we need to appreciate in the way Bach wrote is that he's being economical with the material. Um, the lines are being repeated. They're being uh, passed back and forth. So there's recognizable um, things happening. Uh, if the music's new to us, we kind of hear it again, we hear it again. Uh, which, if you think, probably brings comfort to people listening to this for the first time. Um, you're introducing a new idea, but you, you're stretching it out and, and reusing it. So, the second track uh, on the CD is, is um, a continuation of the uh, scripture. So let's listen to that. So, more of the same, reusing material there. I'm going to make a small confession here, and this will be, uh, this will certainly alienate at least one listener out there. Bach's music, to me, is so well written in terms of its sounding good, in terms of the harmony, in terms of the rhythm that he put together. It's one of the reasons I believe that you can play Bach on different instruments, for instance, and it sounds good. Whereas if you were to take music from lesser composers and try to transplant it onto an, into another sound world, it might not quite work as well. A, a good example of that is the, the uh, harpsichord writer Scarlatti. Uh, Scarlatti wrote these uh, sonatas for harpsichord, he published over 500 of them. Actually, I don't know if he, he did not publish them. He, he, he wrote over 500 of them. And some of them, you basically just, they get kind of wild, they're dissonant. You're basically just kind of smashing your hand on the keys at a few times. And that effect really comes out on the harpsichord where on the piano, it's, it's, it's not quite there. Um, 
he was writing so idiomatically for one instrument is what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't always translate well to something else. And that's not to say that we can't play Scarlatti on the piano. Certainly people do, and to a great effect, you can certainly do things on the piano you could not do on the harpsichord. But that's one of the things I think about Bach. When I first heard the historical uh, performance movement and what it was all about, I'm like, oh, that's it. I'm not going to listen to this other stuff. I'm not going to listen to Bach on the piano. That's evil. And there, there's people saying that. And I I've very quickly uh, started to feel guilty because I would find... Uh, Bach on the piano would really like it and say, oh gosh, you know, maybe I need to rethink this. Maybe I shouldn't take such a hard stance like these other people are. And then I, I read something by, um, uh, it was Itzhak Perlman, and I believe it was in a gramophone magazine, and he was talking about just how awful uh, playing Bach on original instruments was, and he thought that was nonsense. And I really disagreed with that at the time. I thought it was an awful thing to say. Uh, I was not a fan of, of playing violin with heavy vibrato. Um, and so I go back today and I can say, well, you know, you can do Bach justice on a modern instrument. You can do it justice on a historical instrument. There's some different expectations, I think, as a listener, as you listen to those uh, pieces on different instruments. Uh, and the same goes for singing style. Um, you can sing Bach in a very um, modern or romantic style with lots of vibrato. In a, we would, I guess we would say in an operatic style that really was a technique that developed after Bach's time. Um, the other question is, you know, are we using female voices for vocal works? Um, or are we using young boys? There's lots of controversy. And I, I don't want us to get too rolled up in it. But what I'm trying to say is that this music for me is interesting enough with not having to sit there and follow every word. And with Bach's cantatas especially, you can miss some of the, the genius in the writing. For instance, if he's, if he's talking about something and then he's painting it with notes. Um, there's a famous example about Adam's fall. And he's, he's not only written about that in uh, a vocal uh, idiom, he's written it also in, in an organ piece. And if you look at the notes or you hear the notes go down, you, you, you see and hear the fall. You can see that Bach has taken this, um, this concept and put it into music. And, and you'll miss that. I mean, that's, that's the... There's something to be said for how you're setting a text and you don't go through music school without ever trying to appreciate this music without looking at the text but i know for today's modern listener you're unless you are deeply religious or this music means something to you in a religious context and that's the reason at least part of the reason why you're listening to it um and that's great but i think there's something there for people who don't want to sit there with a book let out or having to go look up online and see what what the text means or or to try to uh, follow uh, a language that's unfamiliar to you. There are riches in that type of study, but I think if we even put that aside, there's some there's some beautiful sound happening here. Um, and so with that in mind, um, I already told you what the text is for the last piece, but we're going to listen now to the the last piece part of this 
which takes a, now a text from Martin Luther. Luther meant a lot to Bach. Uh, Martin Luther, of course, founded the, the Lutheran Church. Um, he was the monk who said, I've had enough of the abuses in the Catholic Church and put his, uh, put his ideas on the, on the door of the church and walked away and went into hiding and all that good stuff. So uh, Bach's neighborhood, Luther was the guy. And so it's not surprising that um, he's quoted so often in, in works of the time. So again, you holy fire, sweet comfort. Now help us joyfully and confidently to remain constantly in your service, although trouble is not driven away from us. Um, through your strength, prepare us and sharpen the dullness of the flesh so that we may battle here nobly, pressing to you through death and life. Hallelujah. And so that's that's the last part of this um, motet by Bach. And again, now that you kind of know what they're singing about, you're not going to be able to follow every word with that. Certainly invite you to do that. But also certainly invite you to just kind of sit back and listen and take in the... Uh, the beautiful sound of the Bach Collegium, Japan, under the direction of Masaki Suzuki. What's kind of cool there is Bach has um, borrowed or reused some of that harmonic language that we hear very barely, um, very, uh, barely is not the right word, um, transparently in that chorale throughout the earlier section. Um, so he's a, the lesson here is that he's economizing the musical material. And he decided, as we heard, really not to focus on making the music sad, despite its, its purpose or its function, but instead to have kind of an optimistic view of God's role in our lives. So that is B2V 226, Motet by Bach. And I've been your host, John Hendren. Thank you for listening.